even within Amarayim, Tanayim, there are certain preferences of how to address Drashz al-Khazal. We know that there's 13 principles that the Torah is expounded with, right? According to the Brites of Rabbi Shmuel, according to Sifri, there's 32 different ways to darshan, to expound Pesukim, in order to derive Torah Shabbat Peh. So now, if that's the case, so then, let's say for an example, let's say we have a Pasuk which talks about, it'll say a general principle, Right? If you steal something, right? Then it says, which is a, a, right, a general statement. And then it says, Mishor Chamor says Salma, right? And it says details. And then it says, It's going back to a general principle. It says, How do we explain that? Do we say there's something called a Klal Pratoklal? That we go ahead and derive a lowest common denominator that's coming to speak about? Or do we say that it's a Ribui made Ribui? It's coming to expand, you know, make it more expensive. <coughs> General principle. I mean, said that's something which is manifest already in the Gemara, even in the Mishnayis, and that's something which is an expression of how do we go ahead and address um, the learning of Tarshav Peh. Yeah? So that's something which we find already sourced back. Um, and so, therefore, when it comes to yeshivas, so there's also different ways of, you know, darshaning. Machlikas Shamai. He said, we'll always have a certain, you know, tendency to be lenient about certain din, and Bisham had a tendency to be stringent, etc. And these are things, themes that we find throughout Tershabal Peh and the understanding of Tershabal Peh and the Dim and Tershabal Peh. So once we get to yeshivas, so then, in a certain way, it's more nuanced. Because when it comes to yeshivas, really we have the Tershabal we have the Mishnah, we have the Gemara, we have the Rishenim, we even have the Achronim, which really already talked about it. And so the development that happened in the world of the yeshivas was that yeshivas started something new. Whereas when it came to the times of, let's say, the Chassam Sofer, the Nod Yehuda, even the Heshua, the Marashah, right? The early, the early Achreinim and even the Mid-Achreinim, the, the type of lima that they did wasn't necessarily based off developing svaras. The type of lima they did was they took things which were facts, they took stances in the Rishonim, Stances from the Gemara, and they did something called cheshman. They did something called a calculation. They calculated if this is the stance here, then what's the ramification of that across the board? Now, what's the logic behind that? Why does he hold that stance? Those are questions that really they didn't pay attention to that because that's not something which was explicit, right? That's something which was more something you can infer, something you could surmise. But something which is explicit that they don't have. And so if it wasn't something which is explicit, that's something, something which they took into account into Allah. So even if you look at these older chubas, you look at the Nodi Bihuda, you're not going to see so much him saying svaras and there must be that I can make a deal from Rashi here and another deal from Rashi there and Rashi wasn't bothered by this question. And therefore, it must be this is Rashi's understanding. It's not like that. It's, it's much more calculated that this is, you know, this is his stance here. If that's true, then we know X, Y, and Z about over here. This we're not sure about over here, so then it must be that based off of what I know over here, this is also true, and that's not true, right? But it's it's more using 
I don't know how to like applied mathematics as opposed to as opposed to inference and supposition. That was all within the early to mid Then there's something called the yeshivas. The yeshivas opened up starting from Belazhin and henceforth and the Talmidim of the Nitziv and the Beisalevi and they all took different approaches and how to go ahead and take svara, take logical supposition and use that to develop the Gemara itself. That was a Chiddush of the yeshivas. So now that's, that's what a Derech is. How do I go ahead and take what type of logical statements do I have? What type of logical jumps am I allowed to make? How much do I take into account the logical jumps into determining halacha? Right? It's not, it's not explicit, but I can show to you that that's what the Rishon means, even if it's not explicit. So now, can I go and pass halacha based off of that? That's, that's right. These are all things which were developed within the time period of the Rosh Hashivas. Now, what do you mean developed? My assumption is that these things are true always, but the fact that it was something which is expressed and articulated in writing or in speech, that's something that was a novelty of the Rosh Hashivas. So now, I'm here to talk about what Mir did. So before you can talk about the Dark Halimut of Mir, you have to understand what Mir was, right? What was Mir? What was Yeshiva's Mir? So Yeshiva's Mir was Benson, a Yeshiva that was totally impacted by the Muslim movement, right? It was impacted by something we call Slabodka. You guys haven't learned about Slabodka yet by Rav Judah? Yeah. So Slabodka was, you know, multiple facets. I would say there were three things that highlighted Slabodka. Number one, regardless of Adam, that everything a person does is chashim and important, significant, and there's a value to it. And therefore, you have to push every individual. Number two is humility. That the fact that you're great and important and, you know, whatever you do is so important, at the end of the day, it doesn't make you better than anyone else. And therefore, we're dealing here with Rashi, we're dealing with the Gemara, right? That humility is also manifest in the way that you learn. Number three, there's a koch of being mevata. Mevata means that if it's a question of do I get something or do you get something, you always get it. Is, there's no, I'm not looking for any of my personal interests, I'm not looking for my own gain, I'm not looking for, it could be that I have better family lineage, and it could be that I'm a bigger Tamil Chacham, and someone else becomes <coughs> the next Rosh Hashiva, and I'm happy for him, I'm not going to fight that, it's not going to become a Machlikas, because that makes me such a bigger person, the fact that I'm willing to give up everything that I have, and give it to you. That was Yeshiva Smir, right? And that focus, and that approach to life, became an approach to learning also. So now, what do they learn in Mir? What does a, what's a day in Mir look like? Yeah? So, Mir, there's three star in a day. All three star in a day solely learn Gemara. We learn Gemara in the morning, we learn Gemara in In the afternoon, we learn Gemara Bikiyas. And the night, we go over that we learn in the morning. It's Chazara, so to make sure that we have it clear, to go over the points, to challenge... The only other thing that we learn as part of the yeshiva schedule is the end of second seder. We take half an hour and we learn Musar. Right? So whether it be Masir Sishar, Mashai Chuba, Chobas but that's the schedule of the day. Now, even though that's the schedule of the day in the yeshiva, it's assumed as something obvious that you're learning besides that. Right? It's obvious that you have a lacha seder. It's obvious that you have, you learn you know, the Parsha Shavua, Shai Mikra Chatargam, Talach and Chokhanarach, obviously you do that. Obviously you're learning Navi on your own. That's Pashat. It's so Pashat that these are things which the Yeshiva doesn't have to have a formal limut for. That's something which is left for each individual and how they want to approach that. But it's assumed that that's what's going on. I'll give you another example of what's assumed limut. 
The yeshiva has a five-year cycle. The cycle of the yeshiva is that you learn Bava Kama, Bava Metziah, Bava Basra, Yevamas, Ksubis, Gitin, Kedushin, Sukkah, Psachim, and Nadarim. Yeah, it's a five-year cycle, ten Mesechus. Um, but it's assumed, and obviously, that you, you're finishing, you know, there's a Moed coming, it's, it's Purim's coming up, so obviously you finish Megillah on your own time, obviously. Being a storm, obviously you finish Chagiga and Tainas, and I'm saying, obviously, what are you doing with your being a storm? And I'm saying, it's at, it's at 30 Daf Masechta, you have a month off, what are you, obviously, right, right? And there's certain things are just assumed as part of just being Jewish, that without that being part of the official Yeshiva schedule, that's just something that you're doing, because how could you not? How could you go, how do you go into, into Purim and not learn Megillah? Right? How could you go into Pesach and not learn Psachim? Right? Starting from Purim, you learn four daf a day, you finish, you finish Psachim by, by the time, you know, Pesach lets out. Shmak. Why not? Why not? So, that's Yeshiva Smir. That's, that's something which is understood and it's not something that to be talked about. And that, that's the same thing. We push ourselves, but you're important, everything you do is important. Obviously, you have to strive for excellence. Why do you have to know you have to talk about it? Why do you have to talk about it? If someone else has to know about it, it's a chinu and Hashem. That's the, that's the, what we're learning. Now, how do we learn? Yeah? How do we learn? What's the approach? What's unique about our approach? And how is that? I don't know, I want to give you examples of that because in a certain way, you guys are learning in yeshiva. Right, so I'm going to take certain examples of things that we all have seen. We all learned the second paragraph of Sukkah, right? Good morning. We all learned the second paragraph of Sukkah, right? From the beginning, Chafei. Yeah, everyone saw that at some point, except for you. It came late, though. Everyone else did. So I'm going to just show you examples of what it means, a, a, a mir darachadim, but in contrast to things that you wouldn't see otherwise. So number one, in mir, mir was simple people. Yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not complicated. We're not trying to be fancy. In Mir, we care about three things. We care about Gemara, we care about Rashi, and we care about Tesis. Everything else, the Rambam, and the Rashman, the Ramban, and they're, they're all beautiful, they're wonderful, they're excellent, and we learn them. But everything that we're learning outside of Gemara Rashi Tesis is to help us understand better Gemara Rashi Tesis, or to contrast it to Gemara Rashi Tesis. But the, the, your pulse, and your bread, and your butter, and everything that you're putting your effort into, is in Gemara Rashi Tesis. So, for example, if you go to Brisk and they sit there and sit on a Rambam and you know they'll learn Rambam straight and whatever they do, I have no idea, right? We would never do that in here. What are you learning Rambam for? Learn the Gemara. Where the Rambam come from? It's coming from the Gemara. So learn the Gemara. Why do you have to, right? And that's something which is like b'chayinu. It's been It's not something which were, you know. I there were times where I had chavrusas where. You sat there, and we made a rule that there's no getting up and getting a, a safer in the middle of Seder. You sat down, 9.15, you get up at 1.15. If you have to go to the bathroom, so fine. But besides that, you have a question. So if it's not in the Gemara, so write it down the side of the right, write it down. You want to go get a safer to get up in the middle of the Seder? You stop learning to go get a Ritma? What are you doing? You sit and learn. A question, you have a question, but we're learning right now. That, like, to that, that was a little extreme, maybe, but we had something. I was, I was from her back in the day. You know, everyone has their from periods, you know? From period. So, that was, uh, that's Yeshiva Smir. Now, that being said, we, we're not in a rush to go anywhere, right? Meaning to say, the point is that if we're learning Gemara Rashi Tursus, that means in the Gemara, in the Rashi, in the Tursus, the entire Sugi is there. 
So if we read the Mishnah, we want to know what every line in the Mishnah is doing. It's not just pshat that you read the Mishnah and okay, the Mishnah said that. But, for example, you read the Mishnah about Sukkah. So we have Shluchim Mitzvah Pturim Min Then we have Chilun Misham Shem Pturim Min And it says, Ochun Rishis and Arai Chutz It says three different halachas in the Mishnah. So we're going to be bothered. What's the difference between all three of those halachas? The Mishnah, the Mishnah didn't have to write all three of them. It's not an exhaustive list of exemptions from Sukkah. <coughs> so why is the Mishnah mentioned all three? And if they have a shared exemption, right, the reason why each one's exempt is because, let's say, Teshu came to Doru, or because the Osig Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. So then I don't need two examples of the same exemption. Each exemption is going to be a totally different nature, right? And that's before you look at Rashi. You can sit here and you can analyze every stage of the Mishnah. And, you know, before you finish, before you even look at Rashi, you already can have a working explanation, two working, three, four, five working explanations in the Mishnah. Before you look at Rashi. Because, number one, there's, there's a Mishnah here, there's a Gemara here. And the point is that you have to understand every nuance. Now, besides just giving a value to the Mishnah of the Gemara, the, there's also uh, side benefits, which is, I don't know, the side benefit is a tremendous benefit in other fashions as well. Mina says as follows. Let's say you have to explain a Gemara without looking at Rashi. So that means that you're going to look at every word of the Gemara, every word of the Mishnah, with a lot of caution, right? You're going to go through it with a fine-tooth comb. You're going to be very, very precise in how you do that. And therefore, you're going to be sensitive to things which seem superfluous, out of place, not relevant, right? And all those, right, sometimes there's jumps in logic, which we don't see that pattern and how that worked. So the fact that you don't go ahead and just run to Rashi, but you sit there and working on the Gemara, you're going to become super sensitive to that. And now you can look at a Rashi, and Rashi seems to say something, you know, where do you get that from? So because I went through that process of realizing the difficulties and the nuances in the Gemara and the and the minutia of changes in the Gemara. So then I'm going to be able to have an understanding, an educated under, a way to try to kind of determine, so why did Rashi make that jump? Most of the time it's coming from something that's explicit in the text. Every once in a while you'll get something that's because of outside information, but generally Rashi is very, very connected to the actual text itself. So that you can only get by virtue of giving time to the Gemara, giving time for the Mishnah. Right? How did the Rishonim write their commentaries? How did the Rishonim write a commentary? He didn't have, he didn't have Rishonim to look at, right? So what did he have? He had a Mishnah, he had a Gemara, and he had his head. So those tools we still have. So there's no reason you can't do that process. Obviously, you know, after you have your approach in the Gemara, you have to have your four approaches in the Gemara. So then we go in with our humility. And no, so Rashi said something different. So why is Rashi right and I'm wrong, Right? But that's only before you go to that first stage. Now, there are, there are some derech alimuds. Let's say you go to a certain yeshivas. You go, you'll open up a Gemara, and the, you know, the rabbi will get up and he'll say, this is a question on the Mishnah. This is a question on the Gemara. Here are three, four different approaches how to answer it. The Rash is like this, this is like that, the Rish is like that, and there's a Shittas Rambam, right? And we move on. Right? That's the next stage of the Gemara. New question, different approaches, etc. We don't do that. We don't believe in that, and we don't, in a certain way, don't even value that. Why not? Because when it comes to an mir, the the way I tell my shir, there's two different there's two different types of lima. There's something called bekias and there's something called beiin. 
So usually we think of Bikiyas as just covering ground, and Bi'in is something which is more in-depth. So, so if I know four different opinions of how to read the Gemara, that's Bi'in, right? I'm learning more material. I would say no. I would say it's absolutely not true. I would say Bikiyas is knowing what information is being given over. I know what the Gemara says. I know what Rashi says. I know what Reb Chaim says. I know what Reb Kiva Eger says. That's what a Bikiyas. I can have a lot of information and understand it on a superficial level. And then I can know why they said it, why they said what they said, or how did they come to the conclusion that they came to the conclusion to, is a totally different exercise. That's an exercise that I would call the Ian. So, in a certain sense, you can learn Gemara with everybody Kiva Eger, and be learning the Kiyas, because you know what he's saying, but you don't know really how he got there, or what was the reason he had to say it, and why that was so important for him to come, right? You don't know that. Or, I can learn Gemara Rashi Tosis Bi'in. And I can know why every single time Rashi said something, he had to say it. And what nuance he was coming to introduce. And I can tell you why every time Rashi didn't say something. Why he didn't say something. And that's a whole different... That's what I would call Bi'in. So, that's the, what we're trying to push. Let me just give you an example. There was... When I was in the mirror, was named Nelson Sri Finkel. Nelson Sri Finkel grew up in America, he went to Yeshiva High School called Ida Crown. What? He's a third cousin. Unbelievable. Right? So Nassim Finkel, when he first came to Yeshiva's Mir, he had an, he had, I think it was an uncle maybe, an uncle named Blazer Yudo Finkel, that was the Yeshiva then. He came when he was in his 16, 17 years old. They were learning, he was learning brachos. He said on the first, I forget, it was the first two daf or the first three daf, they found over 200 machlekes in Trinash and Tesis. In two to three daf kamara, he found over 200 disputes in Trinash and Tesis. That's wild, right? Over 200. There's, there's barely 200 words of Rashi and Tesis, right? On the, on the first three daf. But it's from this basis, right? This is the type of thing that's going on. Every single letter, every single... The order of how Rashi explains things. Everything is taken into account. Uh, every net that you know is taken now. So this is what he holds. So what about this? How how does that apply here in this case? And how does that play in this case? And that becomes much bigger. The differences and the nuances become much more expanded. So that's what we're trying to uh, accomplish. Now, that being said, a person has to be very very honest when they learn. Right. A lot of times, a person feels uncomfortable having questions. Right? A person doesn't naturally doesn't like to have questions because a person gets a certain security in knowing the answers to things, whatever that. So we don't to get psychological yet, but I think that's just a fact that people enjoy like having uh, feeling secure with their knowledge and not being able to be questioned, not feeling like they don't know the answer to something. So in learning, for sure, when you're starting, they can't be. You have to be tremendously honest, and the first job is really just to, to ask questions. This makes no sense. What am I doing? Why does the Misha say this? Why does the Gemara ask this question? Why does the Gemara ask that question? I, the Gemara asks this question. Why did the Gemara bring this as a proof to that? And just, I don't get it. I just don't understand anything. I tell my guys all the time, this whole Gemara, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. I don't get what's going on. Does that make sense, right? I just don't get it. And that's fine. You're not supposed to get it. It's Tershah Malpeh and you have to work on it, right? Rav Hutner has a, has a piece that why is Tershah Malpeh still called Tershah Malpeh is written? Right? It's, it's written in the Torah now. <laughs> Look, you don't know what it is. It's Tershah Malpeh. 
What do you mean? It's in the Gemara. Just take it off the shelf. It's totally written. So Vilna says that the written aspect of Torah Shabbat was written in a way that you still need an oral transmission to get it. It's not accessible without an oral transmission. It's not accessible without somebody teaching you how to go ahead and access it. It's still hidden. Read, read a Mishnah and try to know what it's saying. Try to determine halacha from a Mishnah. Try to determine halacha from a Gemara. Right? And the point is that through this sensitive, you know, cautious, careful, and alert reading of the text, so and that's what's building the principles, right, of what's really under, between the lines. I'm understanding really what's between the lines. So number one, we're going through the Gemara, and we have, you know, an, our approaches to how we'd go ahead and understand it. After that, you go through Rashi. So Rashi sometimes chooses to comment on things, sometimes Rashi doesn't choose to comment on things. All these things are so important to take into account, and I'm going to give you examples of this soon. To the extent that in Mir, Rashi says three words, and Rashi could really be saying a whole piece of Reb Chaim, or a whole tshuva of Reb Kiva Eger, and he's alluding to it in those whole three words. And that, you know, at first glance, how could you know that? At second glance, once you learn the sugya, and then you learn the Reb Chaim, and then you look back at Rashi, it's so clear that that's what he's coming to address. There's no other way to explain what's going on here. I'll show you examples. It's Mamash... Uh, so in, in, in Mir, we believe in that type of limut. We believe totally that Rashi isn't just telling you basic understanding of the Gemara. It's not just telling you that, oh, I don't know what it's saying, so Rashi told me what it's saying. Everything that Rashi is doing is very, very calculated. I had a Rebbe that said Rashi is the Grista Ramai. The Grista Ramai means he's the biggest tricker. Why is he a tricker? Because he makes, he shows you like he's not doing really anything. But every, every word in Rashi is priceless. So now, that being said, Not everyone agrees to that. Yeah? There was a person named, I learned in Shia by someone named Rav Asha Ariyeli. Rav Asha Ariyeli currently has the biggest Shia in the world. He gives Shia every day now to over 1,200 people. When I was in Shia, there's over 600 people, there's between 600 and 700 people. Um, he learned from someone named Rav Nachum Parsavitz. <coughs> Rav Nachum Parsavitz learned in Mir in Europe, and then he came to Mir in Yerushalayim. Rav Nachum was like the trailblazer for, for the Mir Mahalach. He's the one that brought it to Eretz Yisrael, and he's the one that like, laid it down in a clear, organized fashion, and that kind of became the heart of the yeshiva. So when Rav Nachum passed away, there was a person named Rav Moshe Shapira. Rav Moshe Shapira was a big Tamar Chacham. He was a big Balmach Shaba. He wrote a lot on the Maharal. He, he gave shirin to two, three hundred people once a week, and the people that would come were Rosh Hashivas and Rosh Kolos and big Tamidei Chacham and they would come to here to speak. So he was a big, big Balmach Shava um, and he spoke, he eulogized Rav Nachum Patsavitz. And he said that the Koach of Rav Nachum wasn't that he could tell you Pshat Rashi. Rav Nachum didn't have an ability to tell you Pshat Rashi. The, the Chiddush of Rav Nachum was that he could tell you a whole piece in the Gemara, a whole Shtikot Torah, but he'll make you think, he'll try to he'll convince you that Rashi sang it also. <laughs> so, he was, it's like a little bit of a, right? He's poking at him, right? He doesn't really believe that's what Rashi's saying, but there's a whole piece, there's a whole shtick Torah that there's no other way to read the Gemara, there's no other way to read Rashi, right? So, there are people that don't learn this, they like this, they don't believe in this type of approach, but in Mir, this is like something which is basic and assumed. So now, I'll give you an example. Yeah? 
I'll give you an example. So, comes along our Mishnah. I'm going to give you a few examples. Our Mishnah says as follows. Shluchim mitzvah tur minasukah. Yeah? Now, what's that mean? A person who's osig be mitzvah, pata mina mitzvah. Right? That's the principle the Gemara expresses. Rashi says, afilu b'shaz chanayasam. Even when they're encamped. Even when they're encamped. How did Rashi know that? How does Rashi know that when they're encamped? What's the, he's, he made it up. <laughs> no? How could he know? Rashi it says anything else in the Mishnah? It goes to the next case already. So it is a Gemara Chavav. Good. It's a Gemara Chavav. Thanks, I'm sure. Good, 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 good. So now... That's an example of a, a case where, right, who learned this Kamara? You learned this Kamara? You learned this Kamara? You just learned it. Who was seen that? So what happened? There it's a case where really Rashi should have no idea that's true. From the mission, ostensibly, there's nobody should have no idea that's true. But there's a Kamara later on. It says explicitly in Chavav So Rashi, we would look at this Rashi and we'd say that Rashi is not telling us something we know from the Mishnah. Rashi is teaching me something which is a halachic conclusion. That's not something you would know now. He's telling you a halachic conclusion that's going to be in the future. Now, how does the Gemara expound the, the principle of Usik Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah? The Gemara brings two Pesukim. One of the Pesukim, guys. Wait, one second. Okay, but the next time you can answer, okay? Now, what do they teach me? What are the two different aspects of Usik Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah they teach me? Right? The Gemara's bottom. Why do we have two different Pesukim? What are the two aspects that it teaches me, guys? <coughs> correct, correct. The more proves that is two different principles. You guys remember what the principles are? Right? So now right here, how does that what's what's the what's the nature of these exemptions? How does that, how do you become exempt? One says Bashitah you're exempt from mitzvah. So this is a mitzvah. Prat is a mitzvah. Ovalech de chavaderech, prat de chasen. That's a gemara. Now, Tosus asks a question here. Tosus says, "How could b'shiv de chavavesecha tell me that you're when you're osik in a mitzvah, you're exempt from mitzvahs? B'shiv de chavavesecha means that you're being passive. Ovalech de chavaderech means you're being active. And what's a chasen?" A chasm is someone who's concerned, he's worried about consummating his marriage. That's what he's worried about. So Yastosos is really backwards. It's just say, Bashit Techavesecha is telling me the exemption of chasm, and Uvalech Techavaderech is telling me the exemption of Osik Mitzvah, because it fits more in line with the language of the text, right? The, the psukim, which are telling us the nature of the exemption, one's an active expression of exemption, and one's a passive expression. The passive expression of exemption. And therefore, each one should line up with the exemption that it's more fitting to it. That's just his question. So this brings a different gears in the Gemara and Brachos and changes the Gemara. He says, well, the Gemara is not right. It's not correct. Really, Valech Techavadenech tells me, Uzzik Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah, and Beshit Techavadenech doesn't tell me that. That tells me Chasim. That's Tosos. Rashi isn't bothered by that question. Rashi is not bothered by that question. So in here, we would ask, why isn't Rashi bothered by that question? I don't hear the answers. I know the answer. We talked about the Shia good. I'm asking, but we haven't have Shia with everyone here. And now we're talking about the Derech so we're talking about things we, everyone saw already in order to bring out an idea. Now, why isn't Rashi bothered by the question? Right? It seems like a great question. You're telling me a puzzle, which is teaching me an exemption. 
right? For different, it's telling me archetypes of these exemptions. If I'm also I'm active in a mitzvah, then I'm exempt from other mitzvahs. So then, tell me the pasuk of, of being active, right? No. Rashi is fine with that. How could that be? So, if you're sensitive reading Rashi, we'll see that really, Rashi doesn't care at all about how the Pasuk expresses the nature of the exemption. Rashi cares that there is an exemption being expressed. And once there's an exemption being expressed, you know what Rashi says? He doesn't say it explicitly, but Rashi says that it's left up for Chazal to understand logically what's the most sensible thing to be omitted. So logically, it's more sensible that when you're actively performing a mitzvah that you should be exempt than if you're passively preparing yourself to do a mitzvah. And therefore, since that's more logical, the first exemption stated in the Torah was coming to indicate that you had that exemption. <coughs> so that's how Rashi would never be bothered by the question. Why is he never bothered by the question? Because he's making an assumption in the nature of how the exemption is working from the onset. I doesn't, he doesn't say that, he doesn't speak it out, he doesn't, he's not so verbose, he's cryptic, he's terse. And he says, you're right, 100%. Because he's, not, he's, he's coming to tell you the bare minimum of, in a terse, cryptic, and concise form, how to understand what's going on. So that's something which is not going to bother Rashi. Rashi's going to... So there, what do we see? In a certain way, the Tosfus, and this is how we'll transition to Tosfus, Tosfus is essentially going to be the means of really understanding the depth of Rashi. Because you could read a Rashi, and because Rashi is so terse, and because Rashi is so concise, and Rashi is in a certain way cryptic, so then the questions of Tosfus are sometimes going to be the catalyst to really reanalyze Rashi and look at him with a different lens and with a more precise lens. Right? So that, that would be like a classic, a classic mere approach to dealing with such a, uh, uh, an issue. Now, I'm going to give you another example of something which I think is unique to Mir. So in Mir, I've mentioned this tangentially a few times, I'm going to speak it out explicitly, we're not just medaic, we don't just make inferences from that which Rashi yes says, but we'll also make inferences from the fact that Rashi doesn't say. Yeah, Rashi doesn't, sometimes Rashi will see a whole sugya and not say anything. Now how could that be? All right, I'll give you an example. We had a Gemara. The Gemara says on Chavav and Amal Aleph, it brings a price of Holchei Drachem Aptuah Mina Sukkah. a person's traveling, he's exempt from Sukkah. He says, if it's traveling at night, he's exempt from the day, but he's obligated at night. He's traveling at night, he's exempt during the night, he's obligated during the day. He's traveling day and night, he's exempt day and night, right? What's the reason he's exempt? You know what Rashi says? Nothing. Not a word. Now that's, that's astounding, right? There's even Brysa. Without this Brysa, we would never know there's an exemption called Holchei Drachim. And Rashi does not feel the need to tell us why they're exempt. How can I see? Right? That's, that's wild. That's why you have a brisa, you have a whole brisa that's telling me an exemption. This is relevant anytime you want to go to Six Flags. During Sukkot, yeah? And you want to have some Rugelach at Six Flags. And this is before they became from and had Sukkot at Six Flags. But it used to be back in the day we went to Six Flags on Sukkot and we didn't have Sukkot. Can I have Rugelach? I'm Holchei Drachem. Right? So how would I know that I could eat the Rugelach outside of a Sukkot if I didn't have a brisa? So why, why is it true? Says Rashi, nothing. Huh? That was a machlik, as we saw, which in the Mishra of Machan Rashi knew that we were going to 
Right, so, Rashi, so I'm not going that far. I'm not saying Rashi knew that we're going to Six Flags. But how did Rashi, how did, why didn't Rashi say anything? So this is something that I saw Rav Asher Ariely do time and time again, is that the previous Gemara was just discussing an exemption called Teshvukah Intadoro. That you're only obligated to sit in a sukkah in a fashion that you would be in your house. So now, we have a new din. The new din is you're traveling. So Rashi is coming off a previous sugya. The previous sugya is discussing a concept of how you would live in your house is how you live in your sukkah. So now, if you're traveling, you don't have to, you don't have to be in a sukkah. So Rashi doesn't have to say anything. Why? Because if Rashi just got through saying that you're only obligated in your sukkah the way you live in your house, so obviously if you're outside your house, you're, you're, that means that you're not obligated. So Rashi's omission of explaining the b'risa is actually revealing to us how he understood the b'risa. It was so self-understood based off the previous discussion that in the current sugya, you didn't need to say it. Right? So that's, that's something that near we would like, we would jump on top of. How can Rashi not speak? How can Rashi not... Right? Rashi had to say something here. There's a whole sugya which went unexplained. The answer is no, it was explained. This is just an extension of the previous sugya. This is a new manifestation. So obviously you have to say it, right? We wouldn't know just from the fact that I don't have a table and chairs in my sukkah, or just from the fact that it's raining a little bit, that I would be exempt from also when I'm traveling, right? What if there's a bench in, in, uh, in Six Flags? So sit on the bench in me, right? Maybe you need a sukkah then under the bench. The answer is no. There's something called Teshvuk King Tadur, and that's Hochidrach, and the Braisa has to say it. But once the Braisa says it, it's self-understood what the reason for that is. So Rashi doesn't have to come ahead and share that. Um, What's another example? I want to give you other examples here. Should we go to six flags then? Listen, that's a different Shaila. Ramesh Shambach and Ramesh Fainz have a discussion. Are you allowed to do, are you allowed to put yourself in a situation where you're going to be Halkei Drachim? Yeah. Yeah. Portable Sukkahs, Rajuda is a very big fan of the portable Sukkahs. The Sukkah in a backpack. Chabad has them, but even non Chabad Sukkahs. Even the non Chabad have portable Sukkahs nowadays. It's unbelievable. Yeah? What can you do? So, I'll say this. Um, now I want to tell you I want to tell you here this is where Mir gets very exciting I'm going to give you an example this is all a Gemara that you saw that those of us who were here since the beginning of the year yeah some of us no one took and didn't take breaks in the middle I don't know if you saw this either but for anyone who's here since the beginning of the year and didn't take any elongated break in the middle you saw this Gemara the Gemara has a discussion of what happens if a person gets married before Sukkot and they want to have Sheva Brachos on Sukkot. So the Gemara goes to a whole big discussion about you have to have Sheva Brachos where the Chuppah was. They used to have a different, right, why that's true and why that changed. They used to only make Sheva Brachos where the Chuppah was. But they also only want to make Sheva Brachos where you eat. Because how could you be happy and rejoice if you don't have any food? Right? Obviously you need a cutting station in order to be happy for someone else, right? It's impossible in any other way. So, you have to have food, and you have to have the chuppah. So how can you have the sheva brachos during sukkahs? Oh, so, Ms. Malifki is around two already. First, you're going to come into and now she's going to come into a Gemara. The Gemara says, get married where your sukkah is. Have the chuppah where your sukkah is. Get married where your sukkah is. Get married where your sukkah is. Yeah? A great suggestion, right? Because you have to kill two birds with one stone. Says the Gemara, you can't do it. The Gemara brings two reasons. It's a machlik, it's a bayi rabba. A bayi says, 
that I'm sorry to see it. I'm sorry to and start chassan. One second. The Bayi says Mishum Yichud. Excellent. How is you? Davis. The Stark. Unbelievable. So you guys are serious. We're a bunch of Abayi says because of Yichud. Abayi says the reason you can't do it is because of Yichud. And Rav says the reason you can't do it is because of Tsar Chasen. Tsar Chasen. Now, we have to understand two things. Number one, what's the Yichud? Why is it Yichud? What's the concern for Yichud? Yes. One second, one second, one second. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. I want to show you what Rashi says. All. This is the point. I want to show you what Rashi says and try to show you that Rashi is actually saying the biggest Shikot Torah you could ever imagine. Yeah? Rashi says on one hand, there's something called Yichud, and on something else, there's something called Tsar Chasen. So how does Rashi explain that? So Rashi says Yichud. Why is it Yichud? Says Rashi, Destam Rashi gives me a history lesson. He says you should know that they used to make their sukkahs on the roof. They used to make the sukkahs on the roof. Now, did, did Rashi talk to Rabbi Dr. Barawai? Or did Rashi somehow know this based off the sukkah? So let's see. He says, number one, they used to make their sukkahs on the roof. And people don't always go up and down on the roof. Why not? Because it's, it's, it takes an effort to climb onto a roof. They didn't have a staircase. They had to go up a ladder, right? It's a lot of work to get up and down on a roof. So people weren't frequenting up and down. So maybe one time everyone's going to be rejoicing during the Shabbat Brachos, and there's only going to be the Chassan and his friend and his wife. And the Chassan's going to go down off out of the sukkah into the house to relieve himself. And he's going to be beyuchud with the kala. Yeah, that's the concern. So according to the Bayi, why don't we make the chuppah and the sukkah in one place, since the sukkah is on the roof, then we're afraid that it might come to a circumstance where the chassan leaves and the kala is alone with one of his friends. We don't want that. Correct? It's not considered a public place. Why not? Because Rashi says that people don't go up and down. It's not a derech knisav yitzhi now, Rashi, in the next Rashi, says something astounding. And this is Ramashi, it can make you, uh, it can make you fall off your chair. Yeah, Rashi says, Tsar Chasen. Why do you get, why is the, it's going to bound the Chasen? Why is it going to bound the Chasen? Shemakam Tsar Upasuach. It's a place which is very narrow and open. She'ina ele Shalash Tefanos, because the Sukkah only has three walls. Ubosh the Sachikim Kalaso. And he's nervous, he's embarrassed to be flirtatious with his wife. So why don't we make it on the roof? It says, it says Rava, because there's only three walls, and since there's three walls, and it's a very tight place, so he can't hide anywhere, and we want to be able to be flirtatious with his wife. They just got married, right? He met her once beforehand. That's it. He has to spend the rest of his life. He wants to get to know her. He barely know her name, right? So he wants to talk with her a little bit. But he's embarrassed to do it. He's embarrassed. What? Give her a Torah. Give her a Torah, right? Something, help us, right? Tell her a joke at least. Yeah, something. But he's embarrassed. Now, now, guys, this is, this is a catastrophe, right? Rashi just got through explaining Abaye that the reason that you can't be on the roof is because of Yichud. Why? Because maybe the chassan's going to go down and you're going to be alone with the kala. Now, the next Rashi, Rava, says that you know what? You can't, you can't have the Sheva Brachos on the roof with the Kala, why not? Because it's so open and there's such a lack of privacy that he's afraid to be flirtatious with her. He's going to be embarrassed to be flirtatious. Now, 
It's all, it's all, it doesn't mean flirtatious and affiliate, it's a joke around with them. But this is, these are, these are, these are high machine and they grew up in Pate uh, Ungarin. They don't, uh, I'm saying he never saw a girl before in his life, besides his mother and his sister. And even his sister is only until she was 12 years old. Yeah, this is a high machine. So now, he's, he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed. A Ger Chassid, a Ger Chassid is going to talk to his wife. In a Ger Chassid, they make a joke about Ger Chassid in that what, if you see a Ger Chassid and a lady walking a block behind him, so then you know they're married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so he's not going to, in public, to talk to a lady, he's not going to do it. So now, this is, this is, a, this is a catastrophe, right? This is a catastrophe. On one hand, Rashi is saying, there's a concern of Yichud. Why? Because you're alone with the lady on the roof. On the other hand, what are we, what are we, what are we worried about? The, even the chassan's afraid to talk to her, let alone to the, the chassan's friend. The whole world sees. So this is, this is a Rashi, that if you were to take Rashi at face value, you would say, I don't know, maybe look in the Cairo Geniza, maybe there's different texts here, there was a mistake, right? They would start uh, taking out the whiteout pen. So then, I'll tell you, this, this is where, this is where Mir kicks in. And Mir would say, what are you talking about? So, there's a person named Rishach, Rav Shach has a sefer called Avi Ezri. Avi Ezri is a commentary on the Rambam. And Avi Ezri has a whole piece in Avi Ezri that discusses what's the gather, what's the parameters, what's the reason for the prohibition of Yichud. Why is Yichud forbidden? And he has over there, Amachlikis is Yichud, Asr Midur Araisa, because we're concerned that that being alone is going to lead to other things, is going to lead to other issues. Or is Yichud, the state of being alone in and of itself, irrelevant of what that might lead to? That's something in and of itself which we don't want, the Torah didn't want. That being alone with someone else definitionally is a certain closeness that the Torah prohibited. So is the prohibition the way that Roshach calls it an Isra Atzmi? Is it something which is inherently, integrally prohibited? Because we don't like this state of being like that? We don't like the state of solitude between a person, a male and a female that, that aren't married? Or, no, but the whole reason it's prohibited is because we're afraid of what it might lead to. And there, Navi Ezri proves, and according to Rashi, and Rashi in different places, in Kiddush, and in Yivamos, etc., that Shittas Rashi is that Yichud is prohibited Ba'etzim, that the being in a state of solitude with someone of the opposite gender is something that the Torah prohibits, <coughs> irrelevant to what it might come to. So there, that's the case, so this Rashi is, is beautiful. Rashi makes so much sense. Because here, what do we have? We have a man and a lady, according to Abaye, on a roof. A roof is a separate domain. <coughs> it's not a public domain, it's a separate domain in of itself. In the Shabbos, the roof is separate from the, from the, from the ground that you can see from it, right? A totally different domain. Now, besides from that, people don't come in and out from there. So it's not Derech Arabin. People don't come in and out from that area. So you have a totally isolated area. Now, are we concerned anything's going to happen? Absolutely not. The whole world can see in. There's a, a, a wall which is, there's only three walls, and it's tight, there's nowhere to hide, and the whole world can see what's going on. Are we concerned anything, anything we're not concerned bechlal, anything's gonna happen. But there's an Issa Yichud, because there's a man and a lady in a domain which people don't frequent. That's an Issa Yichud. And at the same time, you can have an Issa Yichud where, where, 
he's not going to, he's not willing to be flirtatious. The husband's not going to be flirtatious because the whole, it's open to everyone. Everyone can see in. So that's a place. So, so now I can look at Rashi and wow, Rashi makes a lot of sense. Rashi has a whole understanding in the gather of the Isayichot. That the parameters of the Isayichot is not because we're afraid of what's going to come from the state of being, but the parameters is that the Torah itself doesn't want you in a, in a, a domain that's unique to you and the other person. That you have here. You have that. That's Mr. Yichud says about it. And according to Rava, Rava says, what if you're concerned about maybe there's going to be one guy and he'll go down and the chassan will go down and you'll leave him alone? That's far-fetched. What's the problem? The problem is the chassan. The chassan, there's three walls and we want him to feel comfortable with his wife. They just met for the first time. So the feel more comfortable than Shalom Brachos. But without that Avi Ezri, without that understanding, it couldn't be Rashi. So how did Rashi mean that? So if you would ask me, I would say absolutely, obviously. Now, did Rashi express that? Did Rashi tell us what the parameter of the prohibition of Yichud? No. Because that's not his sugi right now. That's, if, you want to, if, you, if you want to know the parameters of the, the Isa Yichud, so learn the fourth parent of Kedushin. You know, and you'll figure it out. You'll work it out over there. But here, it's not a sugi. It's not a sugi. He's not telling you that. He's assuming that. And now, with that assumed information, so now you can read Rashi, and it actually makes sense. Right? You don't have to get the whiteout pen anymore. So that's, that would be it's an example of something that we see that Rashi is saying something explicit, which seems at first glance to be not understood. It seems even to be contradictory. And at the same time, with a, more of an information broadening your horizon, so you can actually see that Rashi is saying a very, very deep blunders. So that's what I meant when I said in the beginning that Amir, we're interested in three things. We're interested in the Gemara, we're interested in Rashi, we're interested in Tzvitz, and everything else is just a means of understanding. So yeah, we'll learn a Rambam, we'll learn a Rav Shach and an Avi Ezri. But where is that bringing us? That's bringing us to Pshat and Rashi. That's bringing us to Pshat and Rashi. Rav Shach Sonal was Rav Steinman? Rav Shach Sonal was Rav Steinman. No, I don't think so. Rav Steinman? Rav Shach's father, so that's 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 when I want to give you a taste. I hope that was informative. Are you guys any questions, comments, concerns? Yeah. So then, does Ra- if if we're assuming that Rashi really meant that, then do, do you think Rashi would expect us to like know like way like way more Gemara before fully understanding what he says? Yes. So this is a big this is machlekes. There was a there was a yeshiva called Velazhin, and the Velazhin was founded. There were two rich yeshivas. One was named Rav Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin otherwise known as the Netziv. And the other one was known as the Beis Halevi. He was the first Yosef Dov Salavechik. He didn't go by Yosef Dov, he went by Yashav Ber. That's the Yiddish version. That's the Hebrew version. It's the same exact name. Yeah? And they had a, a, a fundamental dispute, a rift in the yeshiva, that when it came to the Netziv, the Netziv held very, very strongly that how could you ever try to say a Svara at all, how could you say any kind of logical jump in any Gemara whatsoever before you knew at least half of Shas, Marashi Tesfus? If you have a question, maybe it was a guess, someone else. 
And the Beis HaLevi was adamantly opposed to that. And the Beis HaLevi held that if you don't say a Svara in a Gemara, so then it's, you could learn half of Shas of Gemara Shittesis, but you don't know a line of Shas, let alone half of it. And that was, that was a fundamental dispute. That was a tension that existed within the Yeshiva itself. And that's the answer to your question. <laughs> yeah. Do we ever know? So that if you're asking me, my humble opinion, yeah, I'm saying that, well, how did it explain Rashi in the other way? Yeah, sure. So, in a certain sense, what do we, what do we know? Do we know anything? How do we all know anything? What's called knowledge? So, knowledge, according to this approach to, to learning, would be that if you have clear expression of facts, and you have either <coughs> questions or proofs, which point in one direction and are explained by something which is sound and reasonable and able to be proven as principle. So this principle that Roshach went and proved from other Rashi's and Shas, so then this is a very, very natural application. So now can I tell you 100% that this is what Rashi meant? I can't, I can't, how could I do that? Can I tell you 100% that my father is my father? I also can't do that. Not maybe if I took a DNA test, right? But we didn't do that yet. But my father is my father. So this is, Rav Shach is Rashi. I think. <laughs> yeah. What would you do for a Sephet that doesn't have a lot of Rashi? So you should know, it's very hard for me. Like we have, we, like in the, in the Mir, we learn the Dharam. That's one of the Temesethas we learn. There, there's no Rashi. There is Rashi, but it's not Rashi. The, the Rashi that printed in the Shas Vilna is not Rashi. It's clear it's not Rashi. They call it the Mefarish. The, the learning of Nidoram is primarily in the, in the Ran and the Rush. And the Ran and the Rush, they're excellent, they're lovely, they're wonderful, but it's not Rashi. Rashi, Rashi did something which was like unparalleled. Every word in Rashi, the way he ordered it, the way he didn't say everything about Rashi, you could sit on forever. And the Ran is beautiful, the Ran is actually very, very beautiful, but it's not, it's not comparable to the, I'm saying, to what Rashi did. Yeah. Uh, should Rashi be wrong? So that's so like, is the Meiri the Meiri introduction to the Talmud says that how could there be Machlikas Rishonim? What the Gemara mean? So the way the Meiri says this, I spoke to the Nevinsel about this once. I don't get a hundred percent, but he he went like this also. He was bothered by a different question. How can you if you whatever the Gemara meant? So that's the truth. So how can you make Mitzvah Talmud Torah if you're learning? the Gemara like Rashi and the Lachas like Tursus. He was bothered by that question, it bothered me so much that question. But he wanted to say from the same principle that the Meiri says that every Rishon knew the other explanation of the Rishon as well. What was the Meiri? The Meiri took a compilation of different Rishonim. He told you a concise version of what each one said. And sometimes he said his own Svaras as well. That's the whole work of the Meiri. So the Meiri writes an introduction to the Talmud that the concept of the Machlikis Rishonim is that Rishonim take principles of Torah which are true and the dispute is, what's the proper application in this circumstance? So, Rashi is saying, is that, that's one approach to address that question. So Rashi is saying something which is true. Is that the truth of the actual Gemara itself? Then, according to the Eerie, maybe, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> not so much. I, I would tend to agree that the truth exists in different, right? Uh, like I would exa- is Blumenstein wearing a blue shirt or a white shirt? Oh. Oh. 
The what? So, so it depends what you're talking about, right? His top shirt, the polo shirt is blue and the undershirt is white. So it just depends what you're talking about, right? That's why I assume every machlik is a certain way is like that, that there's different levels of truth and both things are true. And that's, that speaks more to me than other Miri is saying, but... Uh, but I hope that helps. Yeah. Okay. I have to say. Um, yeah. Is I'm gonna be honest. I'm a bit of a chassid of Rashi. Ah, the story. Yeah, yeah. He's not a prophet. I think so. That's why I assume. Yeah, there's different aspects of Ruach HaKodesh. It says that Esther, the Tilbash Esther Malchus, the Gemara says, when the Pasuk says that Esther was put on clothes of kingship, so it really meant she, she had Ruach HaKodesh. And the Gemara tells us that she's one of the seven female prophetesses. So that was how the Gemara knew it. The Gemara sourced it from that Pasuk. At the same time, we say that uh, the Talmud Babli was written with Ruach HaKodesh. Now, were Abayin Rav the prophets? They were after the time of Ravina Ravashi, I'm sorry, the prophets. It was after the time of prophecy. So it just means that there was divine assistance in that work. And it's almost like the work becomes bigger than the person itself. So in a certain way, so that's, uh, I believe that's true with Rashi. Rashi was given divine assistance to write such a commentary on the Chumash and the whole entire Tanakh and the, you know, the whole town of Bavli, multiple commentaries. You have at least four versions of Rashi on Talmud Bavli. And to, to write responsa, an array of responsa, it's like he didn't stop writing. And the Rambam too? You said that earlier in the year. The Rambam also, that's the, the Mishnah Torah, correct, yeah. It was up for us, it was up for us in the Oran, yeah. Um, I don't know if you ever mentioned it, uh, I talked about it in the class. We, um, the case with the Khatan, right? Yeah. And we talk about the Simcha, how can we do it? And then we bring a source from a statement from either a Tana or a Mora saying that I was able to do both. I was able to be Mesameach yeah. and fulfill the Mitzvah. Yeah. What's that statement actually coming to do? Because it doesn't do anything halakha maaseh. You don't really address it. It's just like a statement. What, what, what is the purpose of that? It's telling us that it's not an Isra. It's a rishos. It's a rishos. Oh, to make so we're saying yeah. so most people don't halach. Yeah, it's, 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 okay. yeah, it's, it's a rishos. Are you saying it's b'diavad or it's like? Don't know. Yeah. So Rashi brings in like a seemingly outside or non-explicit piece of information. He doesn't bring in any information. That's the point. He doesn't say anything. He just explains the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that explanation only makes sense based off this massive lumdus, which he doesn't even tell us. Like the like the roof, like where does, like, where exactly. does he get that from? The roof? It's from the sukkah itself. So how do, how why else would there be yichud, right? How did Rashi know that? Right? How did Rashi know that he was a historian? How else would there be yichud? Is any sukkah inherently yichud? If it's on a roof, 
But if it's something which is derech harabim to come in and out, why did Rashi say it was yichud? It was on the roof, and therefore it's a tircha for people to go up and down. Why did Rashi add that information? Because why did Rashi has to make it that if it's a sukkah, it's outside, people just can come in and out, then, you know, that's already called Pesach Pesuchil Shisarabim, and that's not called Yichud, that's not called being in isolation. So he, dafka, he, made, he said that it has to be that you were talking about on a roof. And if on a roof, why does it make a difference? Because people don't come in and out. Right? Why is... One second, one second, one's in the middle. Um, like, for example, um, in, in Shmos, he's talking about the different fruits that they bring out of Egypt, or that they, or that they want from Egypt. And Rashi explains one of these fruits is a cucumber. Is that like based on a misora that you had, or does he get it explicitly from the psuki? Don't know. Sorry. There he's, he's, he's explaining what the uh, a vegetable is. How do you know what the vegetable was? Yeah, like it's like, I like from the targum. Yeah, Rashi always has a source for things like that. He'd say either coming from the targum, or he's coming from a midrash. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're saying Rashi comes up with these chiddush on his own. It's not passed down from the times of the Gemara through different. I don't know. Okay. He's assuming he's assuming that principle. Where did Rashi establish that principle? Did he establish himself from the sugyas in other places? Or is that something that he a tradition for? I don't know. We have Rashi quotes many times. He quotes Donash, or he quotes Menachem, and he, 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 there were people that he for sure had a Masorah from. Now, every time that he says something, is it coming from the Masorah or not? I don't know. Uh, how can there be a Mishnah or a Brite that's only telling each other, perceiving at least, like we had before, like with the Brite that each other was Mishnah, like how, how can two of those uh, things contradict if they're written with, let's say, Rav and Kodesh? We don't, if it didn't make it into the canon of the Mishnah or the Tosefta, we don't believe in infallibility of the works themselves. Right, but then it moved, like, they have to, they have, to have some uh, validity to them. So otherwise we wouldn't use right whole sugya about right. the right for sure, Reb Chanina thought, your case, Reb Chanina thought it was a real b'raisa. Yeah. He believed in it, he passed an halacha based off of it. So my assumption is that the same way that we have something called machlekes, Right? What was the first machlekes? Smicha, you had to do smicha on yantif, right? Korban, you had to, every korban, you had to do that on yantif. Machlekes, right? How did that happen? Because we had a Masorah. The Masorah came from Meshan Harsinai, and as the years passed, and there was something called the Arita Sadorus, and we got farther from Ayman Harsinai. So if we had a question, we used to do something called the Ask a Prophet. But we stopped having prophecy. So we couldn't clarify it through prophecy anymore. So what do we do? You had something called Tamidic Aridation. Now that Tamidic Aridation, there's 13 principles, according to the Brian Sabishma, or 32 principles according to Zafri, of how to go ahead and expound halacha. If that's the case, so now that's where a little bit Shemayim he kicks in. Now go d- determine what the halacha is, not figure out, determine what the halacha is. That's, that's how you get into the world of Machlekas. Yeah, yeah, video. There's a whole discussion. It's Machlikas, it's a three Machlikas. It says, Machlikas Basil Bashamay and Rebbe. According to Bashamay, Basil has to be six tachem by six tachem wide. According to Bashamay, it has to be seven tachem by seven tachem wide. And according to Rebbe, it has to be four amas by four amas. That's the minimum size. That could affect the Yichon. The Rashi goes out of his way to say it was Tsar, but it was tight, so you couldn't hide anywhere. Rashi goes out of It's true. Rashi addresses that point. Excellent. Yeah. In the sukkah case, why is there no kosh, why is there no worry that it could lead to something? Because it's open. 
the whole world sees. It's, it's so open that the, 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 the groom himself is afraid to be flirtatious. But it's still Asr. But it's still Asr because they're in a, in a secluded domain. But how is it secluded if it's open? Because people can't come in and out. So it's, so it's, 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 it's bad it's, enough that people can't come up, but it's not that bad that... The two, two different issues. Yeah. The two non-related issues. That's really the Kiddush here. Being, being seclu- seclusion has nothing to do with what that state of seclusion might lead to. So, the ma- so you can be in a place where you're totally unwilling to be flirtatious and at the same time be secluded with someone else. And so they're talking about... Walls. Right. So, so right. Right. Exactly. According to Rashi, that would be Yichud. And at the same time... Exactly. Are they talking about the exact same sukkah? Yeah. So yeah. what, doesn't one say three walls and one say four walls no. in the Rashi? No, no. So they're both things. Three walls? If it's a different kimta, then they don't have to have a machlikas tzarechas and not tzarechas. What's the machlikas? That's the minimum size. But the Rashi says Stam still had three walls. You're right. That's the minimum amount. Right. 100%. But Stam still had three walls. I guess it's more structurally sound. Yeah. If we have a concept of Lola Shamaya Peter, what would it matter if uh, Rashi and Ruach HaKodesh or not? Like, what is I don't the, think it makes a difference. What's, what's the nature of Ruach HaKodesh? I don't think it does. I don't think it makes a difference. You don't need it. What's, what's the nature of Ruach HaKodesh as we, as we say it, though? It's not the rule, right? I don't know. Not really. I don't know. When I get it, I'll tell you. <laughs> in the meantime, I don't have it. don't know. There are times in life when you see retroactively... They have it. Yeah. That's for sure, sure. Yeah. Um, something related. I've been doing a lot more time here, and I see Rashi on Chumash when he does the Targum. He doesn't just show like one or two examples. He gives like six, seven different examples. Why does he give so many? So I tell you, I have He gives a Shir and Chumash Rashi once a week, and he speaks about one Rashi for an hour. That's the that's the Shir. He takes one Rashi. He probably has five, six, seven questions on one Rashi. And so I remember once he wanted to say, he wanted to explain that Yaakov Avinu said to, to Lavan that Lama Dalakta Acharai, right? That after, after the, what's it called? That Lavan chased him down after he left with, you know, Rachel and Leah, all the kids. He says, Lama Dalakta Acharai. That's what Yaakov says to, to Lavan. And he brings two sources, two other places in Tanakh. That the word dalakta is used to chase, to, as a means of redif, of chasing. Usually, the, the lok is to light, lazlik, it's a lashnam igniting. It's to chase. So, I, rem- I don't remember the, the two places. The first, the, second, the first place that was quoted was in Eicha, that, that it says that dalku achareinu, right, that the, that the soldiers of Nebuchadnezzar were chasing after the Jews. They used the lashnam of lidlok. And it said another Lashen in the Lashen Navi. I forget where the Navi was, though. You look in the Rashi. And he, he was bothered, first of all, why do we need both? And number two, he was bothered, Hakim says a Pasuk in Ksuvim before a Pasuk in Nevi'im. And he had a Mahalach in it. So, I believe in that. Can I explain to you offhand why you need all six of them? Maybe we'd have to, something, I think there's something you could extrapolate from that, but I don't... Uh, You're saying like every single one. Yeah, I think, I think so. He's coming, he's, he's not... There are times where Rashi is very, very terse, where you'd expect him to be more verbose, and when Rashi speaks, then there's a reason why he spoke. 
My Rebbe used to say, Vus by the beginning, Vus by the Joshua. Right? There has to be something that he's. Stadzich, yeah. It has to be. Yeah. Just to clarify, he talks specifically about a roof? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 it's wild, right? Every single detail. But he it's says, interesting that, you know, he lives in Europe. When was the last time anybody saw in Europe flat roofs? It has to be... Right. Because the snow has to melt. And so he, where's he coming from? How does he know that? So he's, oh, he's coming so nice. to explain the Gemara. Mm, yeah. He used to make it on the roof. Now, why is he saying that? It's not normal to go up and down there. So he knows. That's, the, that's why it's important that it's on the roof, because that's the one way we're making it, that it's not easily accessible. If it's on the ground, it's easily accessible. That's a common area. Okay, I don't want to... I'm going to give you a break before... No, we're almost supposed to speak at 11.45, I think.